We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen, and I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is the Sacramento Bee's Chris Biederman, and we are sponsored by Cooper's Brewing. You can visit the brewery that's in Santa Rosa, or if you can't make it out to the brewery and you want to order a case online, you can do that. There is a run of Candlestick Chronicles, our hazy IPA. It is delightful. You can get a case right now of that or any other beer that's available on their site. That's cooperagebrewing.com, 21 and up, and must be in the state of California. And if you're those two things, order some beer right now. Do yourself a favor for the holidays. They'll ship it to you overnight. Like it'll it'll be on your doorstep the next day. And it's cold. It's great. Anyways, Cooper's Brewing, Cooper'sbrewing.com. Let's let's just kind of catch up from uh from things we missed over the weekend. Chris and I haven't gotten to talk since the 49ers game, at least talk on the pod since the 49ers game on Thursday. So we'll have some takeaways from that. And some takeaways from a wild weekend in the NFL. Here we go. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Kittle in Denver territory! Kittle is gonna go! Touchdown! Bosa's got him, and a sack him back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. Of all the nights to have to do a solo pod, Thursday was maybe the worst one. I had so many things I wanted to talk to you about. So yeah, much sorry about that. No, it's okay. You you have other commitments. I totally get it. But just as I, I, I don't know if you listened to it or not, but there were like three or four times where I was like, man, wish I could bounce this off someone right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know the feeling. Yeah, I had probably the worst travel day I've ever had on Thursday. And went right to sleep after after the Niners game. I was in Detroit, and of course that's East Coast time. And it was just, I had I had nothing to give. I, I don't think I would have given you anything to bounce off of. So, um, <laughs> but I'm back. I'm uh, I'm not quite rested, but I'm back. And uh, and I that have some thoughts me. after after rewatching the game too. Um, a pretty impressive win, man. Like I I think ultimately. I mean, what what were your big takeaways? What do you want to talk about? Because I have some things too. Well, I think it has to start with the quarterback, right? Like, there's there's a lot to get to, but the way Brock Purdy played under those kind of conditions 
was super impressive to me. And he wasn't, you know, Shanahan, the defense, like McCaffrey, totally like those, those were all great as well. But this was a game that I kind of went in short week in Seattle, one of the hardest places to play in the NFL, or at least it was um, still, still a lot arena or, or, or stadium. And then you had Purdy banged up with rib and, and oblique injuries. He didn't even throw until a ballroom walkthrough on Thursday morning. Like there were just a lot of things that had he played poorly, it would have been like, oh, okay, like I get it. Like that's a really difficult spot. But he played for the most part pretty well. And that was super impressive to me, especially just like I said, given the division was on the line and all the other adversity stacked against him going in he's really accurate and he it, it seems like he throws a spiral 100 of the time and like you know all those throws that jimmy garoppolo will make and we'll be like was that a, was that a really good throw or was that like yeah it was like a 25 yard completion but the receiver maybe had to wait on it or it was a touch underthrown and it was an opportunity miss like if it was a properly thrown ball it would have been a touchdown mm-hmm. like it doesn't feel like we talk about Brock Purdy's accuracy in that way because his throws are generally on the money right like it's it, it doesn't feel like oh Brock Purdy barely underthrew that like it feels like he is more often than not putting the ball where it needs to be and it's just that that to me was really impressive to your point cuz like you know had he'd had a full week of practice then you feel a lot better about Brock Purdy going into that game because Brock Purdy, like anybody else, needs reps to go in on a short week and being banged up and and just being that accurate and not looking like the injuries affected him at all. um, To me, was was just super impressive to your point. And like I thought his best throw of the game was a third down and he hit Juwan Jennings deep in his own territory on a slant. And it was just like, okay, like Brock Purdy's not like shook by the moment. Like that's a really loud part of the stadium. Obviously Seattle arguably like probably top three toughest places to play, regardless of how good the Seahawks are. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just never looked like he was out of sorts. And he, he goes to the right places with the ball. Um, Kyle Shanahan really trusts him. One thing that stood out to me and, and, I asked somebody in the organization like what their thought was and it was like Brock's the same guy that he was in college. Like he's not really doing anything different. I think really what Shan- like Shanahan is like mind melded with Brock Purdy right now. Like I-, mm-hmm. I think what they have going in terms of coach and and you know coach play caller and player is is just in lockstep. Like they are exactly on the same page and it never really felt like Kyle Shanahan got there with Trey Lance in the in the limited playing time that they had together right it was always like mm-hmm. uh, a lot maybe too many running plays like he doesn't really trust Trey Lance he doesn't really trust Jimmy Garoppolo to a certain extent like Shanahan it feels like he really trusts Brock Purdy and that's that says a lot because you and I have talked about on this pod many a time about how Kyle Shanahan so often is reluctant to trust young players Mm-hmm. but he really trusts Brock Purdy. And that to me says a lot about Purdy and just like, I keep going back to it. Sorry. There's a, uh, there's a dog in the studio tonight. Okay. Shout out. <laughs> shout out to Lily. She's, she's letting her presence known. Um, I forgot my point. Oh, Shanahan trusts Brock Purdy to like 
to just run the offense. And it doesn't feel like the offense is limited when he's in there. Like, yeah, you're not going to throw too many like go routes 45 yards down the field with Brock Purdy, right. but he can do everything Kyle Shanahan wants to do. And when the running game and the screen game and the short passing game is working like that, like that can be enough opposite that defense to to win football games and be a really tough out. And I yeah. think the 49ers just their defense and special teams are humming in a way right now that the offense doesn't have to put up 35 points a game for them to be really tough to beat. If they put up 17 to 20 in any of these games, I really like their chances. And I think Brock Purdy gives them that chance. Yeah, it's it's what we talked about last week, just like elevating the floor. Is is the floor high enough that a bad game can still be won by the defense? And I think right now the answer is yes. Like, could the wheels fall off? Like, for sure. Like, I maybe. But I don't have a reason other than, uh, maybe. You know, like, there's not... Injuries. One thing- Sure, sure, but that could happen to any team. Right. Like this isn't there's there's nothing exclusive to Brock Purdy, the last pick in the 2022 draft that makes me think, okay, well, yeah, he's he's I don't know. He can't do X, Y, and Z. And they're patching this together with duct tape and sticks. And eventually I just I don't think that's necessarily the case. And Thursday night drove that home for me like oh okay they can and the playoffs are a different beast and we'll see but you mentioned one of the things that really jumped out to me and you mentioned that he never really looked out of sorts i actually thought there was a point during the the late first quarter early second quarter that it looked like the wheels were starting to wobble a little bit he had the one pass that should have been picked to yeah that one but then he also missed one to McCaffrey one-on-one with the linebacker on an out route on a second down. And then the third down, he missed Brandon Ayuk, who was open. And he just missed a throw. And it felt like at that point, it's like, okay, this could be a turning point because missed a couple throws. Offense isn't really moving. But the throw you're talking about, the one to Jennings, Shanahan had him throw from their own one. And Shanahan talked about that after the game. That was a a sign of the trust he has in Purdy to just make the right play. And then on the third and one with 240 left in the game, basically on the line, they go play action boot and Purdy takes it himself and gets the first down. The fact that he stacked those plays together after it looked like that's wobbling a little bit here early in the game, he was able to gather himself and continue making plays down the stretch. Like that's that was the part to me that that really jumped out. It's like, oh, that's impressive. And Kyle Shanahan's never calling that play for Jimmy Garoppolo. The the boot? Yeah, the design rollout run. Like, yeah, we haven't seen that. So so Kyle Shanahan having a mobile quarterback who can also throw from the pocket like he likes is kind of an intriguing element that this offense didn't really have with Garoppolo. And I'm not saying You know, the results have been the results. They speak for themselves. And, you know, Brock Purdy to me is still far too young and the sample size is far too small to make any conclusion like this guy's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Sure. But right now, with what he can do with his ability to make guys miss and still make throws down the field, his ability Mm -hmm. to extend plays and make second reaction plays and that that boot action or that bootleg first down that he had is that that's. That's an element that the 49ers offense, frankly, didn't have with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. So mm-hmm. while Jimmy Garoppolo is probably a better quarterback right now, and maybe and that maybe that's even debatable. But 
you know, the resume for Garoppolo, obviously much more expansive. And we talk about how in order to be good in the league, you have to maintain a high level of play. You can't just be good for right. Right. But the 49ers offense might be a little bit more dynamic with Brock Purdy than Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I think third and short, like Brock Purdy can make a play better than Jimmy Garoppolo could. Sure. But I think, too, we need to see what this looks like when they go down 14 nothing. Absolutely. That's the biggest question for me. Yeah. And maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. And th- But that's why, like, there's I, I, you see it online and it's it's the logical, like, like direction to go. But I'm just not going there. It's like, what does this mean for next year? Well, Brock Purdy's co- like, dude, I have no idea because what I think now could be dramatically different if Brock Purdy stinks the final four games. But that's no, what's interesting. Will, but like that's why the conversation's interesting because we have no idea. Sure. Right? And that's right. And that's but okay, but that's where the conversation needs to start. Right. It's not Brock Purdy's now Q, the QB one next year. Like, right, right, right. Maybe but <laughs> maybe it's Matt Ryan. I don't know. You know that I'm picking a name. But yeah, but but to the point like Jimmy Garoppolo might have priced himself out of coming back to the 49ers with the way he played. Like Jimmy Garoppolo might go get something like 25 to $30 million a year somewhere, which sounds like a lot, but like when you have so many guys making 40 and 50 now, it's, you know, that's, that's more middle of the road. Um, But if like, if Jimmy's making 25, I'm guessing that's going to be out of the 49ers price range. So then it's like, okay, Brock Purdy and Trey Lance, like no one can say, yeah, it's it's for sure going to be one way or another right now between those two guys. Or like it's no it's no sure thing that Jimmy leaves either. Maybe Jimmy does want to come back at a cheaper rate. That's that. So that's why to me the talk about the next year's quarterback thing is interesting because it's like we don't have any idea. And I I'm I'm in full agreement with you. Like it's silly to say, oh yeah, Brock Purdy's going to start next year. He might if he wins a couple playoff games. He might. But sure. but winning a couple of playoff games is is far away right now. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. That's that's a better way of saying what I was trying to say. Like, there's a lot to happen between now and training camp in 2023. Right. There's so much to happen over the next six or eight weeks that changes everything. Yeah, and I still think this is this. You know, this could be something sustainable. Maybe Brock Purdy is a starter for the next 12 seasons in the league. Maybe. I don't know. But it could also be Case Keenum and like comes in, plays well, has a little playoff run, and then is just kind of a guy who's like sometimes a starter, most most of the time a backup. Like and that's, that's what history that's says, com- right? And that's why Yeah, that's completely on the table. Like he's already one of and I'm I'm sure I'm missing one, and I, I, I should have researched this, but I didn't. Sorry. He's already the most in the modern draft, like the seven round draft, the most successful last pick. Is he like already at that, at that level? I mean, like I said, I'm sure I'm missing somebody. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's certainly one off the top of my head. He's certainly the best quarterback taken at that spot. Yeah. And that's great. Like, and that's why, so everything he's doing right now is historic. Right. Which is why, I think talk of like, oh, well, great. He's a starter next year. It's like, whoa, (laughs) hard, like maybe it's definitely on the table, but I'm just not, 
I'm just not there yet. There's more boxes to check. But like, but bringing this back to this year, and this is this is kind of what I was getting at, is bringing it back to this year. What happened Thursday? I'm just in on the idea that the Niners can just go on a run and win the whole thing. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. I, like what? <laughs> Based on what we saw Thursday night, that was so impressive that I'm just I'm like the Seahawks offense isn't bad. It hasn't been playing great, but defense right. shuts them down. And the offense is just doing well more than enough two weeks ago, and then they just did enough last week. Like, why can't they just keep doing that? Jimmy Garoppolo had the moment in Week 18 last with year with no Debo, by the way. Yeah, Debo Samuel did not play Saturday. He had Debo in Week 18 last year, Thursday. He also didn't play Saturday. Right. Sorry, I'm obviously all <laughs> over the place. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo had his moment in Week 18 last year, but the 49ers won their two playoff games in spite of their quarterback play. Mm-hmm. And the way this yeah, defense, he yeah, he he got hurt. He didn't play particularly well in the playoffs, and he's never really played particularly well in the playoffs. So, if if we think that the 49ers are better equipped in terms of skill position guys this year, because Brandon Ayuk's gotten better than he was last year. You have Christian McCaffrey now, who's obviously a a very apparent upgrade. You still have Debo Samuel and George Kittle. Um, The offensive line has gotten, I don't know if it's better than last year. I, I, I would need to ask somebody way smarter than me about the offensive line, but the defense is as good, if not better than last year. Like, if Brock Purdy provides an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo, which is not a super high bar from last year, then yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it sort of feels like that, like that's the theme of the NFL this season is a bunch of teams winning games without having star quarterback play. Like some of the stars yeah. that we're used to have fallen off Aaron Rod- in terms of like a winning record. Aaron Rodgers, Russell well, Wilson come to mind. And I, I think teams have kind of learned that there's what? five or six quarterbacks that are going to like, yeah, hey, that guy can go win you a game. Patrick Mahomes right. can go win you a game. Josh, you have to have a run game and a defense and a good team around 27 other quarterbacks. The Niners figured this out a long time ago, and that's why they've been really successful when they've had adequate quarterback play. And I think that other teams are starting to kind of come around on that idea. And you're starting to see smarter front office moves and um, emphasis on on defense in the run game. Yeah. And it's quarterback-friendly offense, I should say. Not so much the run game, but... Yeah, I think a quarterback-friendly offense is probably the most important thing because it's been... Kyle Shanahan's been so good at getting guys open in space for so long now. And so many of his... You know, his coaching tree is spread so wide around the league that, like... I mean, you can just look at the NFC like Minnesota's winning with Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is fine, but no one's like falling over themselves to go get Kirk Cousins. Right. Except like, the, the, Ni- <laughs> the Niners are doing what they're doing. Tampa's still the fourth seed, despite just kind of being awful. But like Tom Brady's not being not having an awesome year. Dak Prescott, I would argue, is more towards average than elite. Washington's a six seed and they have Taylor Heineke. They're playing right now. And Daniel Jones is a seven seed and they have Daniel Jones. Or sorry, the Giants are the seven seed and they have Daniel Jones. Um, like the it it just feels like in the NFC when you like we talk about quarterback matchups, mm-hmm. it's not really gonna be like a who has the better quarterback because 
you can make the case that just about every quarterback that's going to be playing in the NFC is going to be pretty damn average. Even though Jalen Hurts is an MVP candidate, I would mm-hmm. argue he's closer to average than than elite. It's just he's had a great season, and the Eagles have had a phenomenal regular season. That's why he's an MVP candidate, not because he's the best quarterback in the league. Well, and what did they do to help him? They went out and got A.J. Brown. Right, exactly. They said, we're going to get this guy a playmaker. And, this, you know, he can he can run and do stuff with his legs, but it's two or three times a game. It's, oh, hey, there's A.J. Brown wide open down the field. And, and Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith, also a really good player. Right. They've invested <laughs> in pieces to help their quarterback. And arguably the best offensive line in the league. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, so I, I'm a defensive th- line really good. Yeah. So uh, we're in agreement here that like, it wouldn't it it would not shock it would be a great story and obviously really surprising like thinking about where Brock Purdy was mm-hmm. like in August but it wouldn't surprise me if the Niners got to the Super Bowl Mm-mm. it really wouldn't yeah, playing like they're playing right now I've got no, based on what we watched around the NFC today the Jags offense hanging up 34 on Dallas <laughs> and I mean and even like Houston hanging with the Chiefs and then the Bucks being up seventeen nothing on on the the Bengals and the Bengals coming back and winning that one like thirty four seventeen, I just I the league's weird this year, man. Yeah. The league is super weird, and if there was ever a season where it's like, yeah, Mister Irrelevant came out of nowhere and won a Super Bowl. Sure, man. Like I've got no reason to say no. Yeah. My one reason to say no is, well, it's not happened before. Right. But no team's ever blown a 33 nothing lead either. That was one of my favorite games I've ever watched in my life. So the 49ers had the Vikings lost that game. The 49ers would have been in the two seed after this week. Yeah. And they come back and win 39-36 in overtime. It was just a collection of everyone involved in that game pooping down their leg at various points. You know, the Vikings started the game just making every mistake you could possibly make. <laughs> Losing to the Colts by 30 points at halftime, whatever it was. At I think home. It was at home. Losing to the Colts were like 4-8-1. and one. And then the Colts flip the script and decide to poop down their leg for the entire second half. All the while, the referees are pooping down their leg the entire game. And like costing the Vikings touchdowns, like it was just like so many. It was just such a collective of stupid things happening that it was like one of the most highly entertaining football games I've ever seen. And I know 49ers fans aren't thrilled with it because, like you said, the Niners would be in the two seed right now. But I ultimately, I feel pretty confident the Niners are going to end up being in the two seed. Right. And even if they're not and they have to go to Minnesota. Right. I'd feel okay about them winning in Minnesota. Right. And I, I, obviously, I obviously you'd rather have uh, your, your rookie quarterback starting games at home or as many games at home as possible. But here, real quick on that game, something that really stood out to me with the Colts and their offense, especially after Jonathan Taylor went down, it really jumped out how special Debo Samuel is because the Colts tried to lean on Michael Pittman the way the Niners lean on Debo Samuel, and he just did not have the facilities for that. Yeah. And it's it was, I mean, it's we've always, like, you know Debo's good. You watch him week in and week out. But when you see another team try and kind of do that same thing, and it just, they blow a 33 nothing lead doing it, 
It's like, oh, <laughs> that's that's how good Debo is. Right. Yeah, and I also thought the Saturday night game, <clears throat> the the Cleveland, um, the Baltimore game was. Over. I watched three snaps of that game. Was like, all right, I'm watching something else. <laughs> yeah, you 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 made the right call. I was on the plane and had limited options, so I stuck through it. But um, the game Saturday night between Buffalo and Miami was just such a high level game. Like, it was it was probably as entertaining as Minnesota and, and Indianapolis, but just such a better game because it wasn't just a collection of massive screw ups. It was like high quality football and like an op- awesome atmosphere with the, you know, with the snowball stuff and the the snow coming down and be- it being at night and super cold. Anyway, I really enjoyed that game. Can we talk about Kyle Shanahan? Dude, it's a 49ers podcast. We can talk about okay. Kyle Shanahan. We can do an episode on Kyle Shanahan if you want. Okay, let's have a let's have the Kyle Shanahan discussion. Um, I know Nick Sirianni has pr- it, like the Chiefs or the Chiefs, <laughs> the Eagles are 13 and one. Um, Nick Sirianni probably has a better case for coach of the year than Kyle Shanahan, <laughs> but I, Kyle Shanahan absolutely has to be in the discussion for coach of the year. Yes. And I haven't He's heard, not- I haven't heard that conversation happen on many other platforms, if any. Um, and I just think that it's important to point out that Kyle Shanahan just won the division with his third string quarterback. Um, managed to remain competitive and obviously be in a great spot to win the division with technically his backup quarterback. And I know Jimmy Garoppolo's like played. I, I get that. Sure. But still, like most teams lose their starting quarterback in week two, and it's it's a dumpster fire. Um and the the thing I, I think people say, you know, I, I think Kyle Shanahan is cementing himself as one of the better coaches in the league. And we taught he's obviously not perfect. And <laughs> There's no perfect coach in the league. I think every single coach can be nitpicked. When we talk about Kyle Shanahan, maybe not having a tolerance for young players relating to, you know, cornerbacks last season, right? Like you have Ambry Thomas and Diamondor Lenore, like why aren't those guys playing? Or, you know, the Trey Sermon and Ty Davis Price stuff. Like obviously that stuff's not great. But it's also kind of like picking nits because like – Look at where the 49ers are right now with their third string quarterback. And there's another group of people who say Kyle Shanahan doesn't deserve that much credit because, you know, this is a defensive minded team. Keep in mind, Kyle Shanahan is the one who has designed this to be a defensive minded team. Kyle Shanahan might not be great at identifying franchise quarterbacks. And we've talked about that at length, like, you know, obviously punting on drafting um, Patrick Mahomes in 2017 not scouting him because you want to build out the defense. Like that's probably mm-hmm. not a great look con- considering you lost the Super Bowl to Pat Mahomes. Um, Deshaun Watson, although that hindsight's completely different conversation with him. But Kyle Shanahan is elite at finding assistant coaches on both sides of the ball, including defensive coordinators. Like mm-hmm. no- nobody knew anything about Robert Sala. Like I don't mm-hmm. know if he was on anybody's radar when Kyle Shanahan made him the DC in 2017. He goes on to be a really good defensive coordinator, arguably the best in the league, and then gets a head coaching job. And we're in the same boat with his replacement in D'Amico Ryans. Kyle Shanahan is the guy making those hires. Mm-hmm. And he's the guy leaning into, we need to have an elite defense if we're going to be a competitive team. He's not one of these offensive coaches who's willing to, you know, he has enough self-awareness to be like, yeah, if we're going to win the Super Bowl, we need to have a really good defense. 
we're not going to be able to put up 40 points a game, even Mm -hmm. though I'm sure he'd love to as an offensive coach. So Kyle Shanahan and, and the Brock Purdy thing, that's Kyle Shanahan's guy. Like that's who he evaluated before the draft and said, we need to go get that guy. And then he elevated Brock Purdy over Nate Sudfeld. Right. Right. And then he kept, he kept him around when he, he frankly didn't have to. And then now we're in this position where Brock Purdy is winning the 49ers games on the road to win the division, like in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So He's I just think cousins. say it again. He's the new Kirk cousins. <laughs> he might be, but I mean, Kyle Shanahan is the person I know John Lynch is a GM in title and in a lot of people's minds, the GM is above the head coach in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. I promise you, Kyle Shanahan is absolutely the most influential voice in the 49ers organization when it comes to football. Like he is the one most responsible for everything that is happening. Mm-hmm. And given that the 49ers are in the situation they're in to still be contending with the Super Bowl for a Super Bowl with a third string quarterback. I just think he has to be like, this is the most unimpeachable season that he's had in terms of like how we evaluate his resume. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there were, there were, I don't want to, I guess naysayers. Um, is that the word? Uh, there were, there were critics of Kyle Shanahan that would point to his record that say he has a losing record and he's only been to the playoffs twice, but it's like, this is a year where you see, okay, they've had injuries, but so does every team. They are in their third quarterback. They're still winning. They're winning with a quarterback that was drafted this year, last in the draft. And yeah, I mean, he's always the the thing I always come back to and have always come back to with him being like a good coach is just how hard they've played at the end of those lost seasons. Yeah. And same thing this year. They fall to three and four. They get their asses whooped in week seven against the Chiefs. And I'm sorry, they got their butts kicked in week seven <laughs> against the Chiefs. Sorry for my language, Lily. Lily, chill out. But <laughs> but they go they, they go and win their next seven after falling to three and four with the quarterback turmoil. Like, yeah, hey, this is this has been the whole deal with Kyle Shanahan. And has it always been perfect? No, are there questionable fourth down decisions for sure? Is the clock management stuff a little bit of an issue? Like for sure. But that was also the issue with Andy Reid for more than a decade in Philly. No coach is awesome with the clock. Mm. I, okay. If there was an awesome coach with the, if there was an awesome coach with a clock, we'd all be like, yeah, that guy. We'd all be able to evaluate. You know <laughs> I think what I'm saying? right? What's Belichick's that? Problem. I feel like Belichick's good with the clock. But, yeah. But that's only, but that, like, that's just such a, like you said, that's just such a nitpicky thing where it's like, all right, this one game they lost because they called a timeout and they shouldn't have, or they didn't call a timeout and they should have. So I get, I get all that, but, when it comes to all that stuff you just laid out, this is why when people were on the fire Kyle Shanahan bandwagon, it's like, what are you going to get? That's a lot better. Right. And, you know, if you want to nitpick play calling and (laughs) to get back to Thursday, getting Seattle to jump on fourth and seven to make it a fourth (laughs) and two and then still punting (laughs) in plus territory. By the way, 
It was on Seattle's 42-yard line? What? What? They're the worst one defense in the league, and you have Christian McCaffrey. Go get two yards. What the? <laughs> so there's things like that where it's like, dude, come right. on. Right. But, he's not perfect. But, I'm not saying he's perfect, he's but he's a, a but, damn good coach. But we've come, we've come to, we've come to conflate offensive-minded and smart offensive coach with super aggressive offensive coach. And that's not, that's not what Kyle Shanahan is. You talked about he. Nick Wagner, our, our favorite cast member, wrote an awesome story on ESPN about how Kyle Shanahan cut his teeth in the coaching world in the 2004 Buccaneers defensive classroom and how he came to understand football through understanding defense. And Richard Sherman just talked about this on the Slow Newsday podcast with Kevin Clark about how Kyle Shanahan knew how to break the Seahawks rules, the Legion of Boom rules. He learned what their rules are, and then he designed an offense to break those rules. And that's where he is a he's a conservative coach. Like that's just what he is. That's how he's going to coach because they have a defense they can lean on. I promise if their defense was 27th in the league and they have fourth and two, they're going for it. But he's going to play the field position game. He's going to lean on his defense. You mentioned it. They built this team defense first. And that's how they're going to do it. So I don't even know if that's a that's a. I think Kyle Shanahan would call that more of a feature than a bug. Like I don't I don't particularly enjoy it. It's like, dude, go for it. It's fourth and two. But right. that's just how he kind of is gonna be. In fairness, he does have Mitch Wisnowski back there putting the ball. Stop. <laughs> He's in No, but I, I just having think, an excellent year. I, I think I think this is Kyle Shanahan's most impressive year since becoming Niners head coach. Um Ooh. I think it's yeah. more impressive than 2019. Yeah, I agree with you. Yes. I was gonna I was gonna push back because in 19 they lost Kyle Juszczyk for like four weeks. And they lost Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey at some point at the same time. They were only out two backup tackles. And they still kept on winning games. They had so much talent defensively in 2019 that like yeah, Kyle Shanahan had a very good year, obviously. But it didn't take a guy like really coaching his ass off to win a bunch of games with that defense. Like with DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa, and still like a semi-useful D Ford, like who played really well when he did play. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't look at that as like, man, must have been really tough to win games. And you still had Richard Sherman, who was capable of being an all pro that year. Right. Like, you know, this year it's your Brock Purdy's your quarterback. You've lost Emmanuel Mosley. They made a really smart decision to go get Charvarius Ward. It's they, the first time they've won without Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. Or if, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo did quarterback the, the most of the games this season, but yeah. No, 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 no. But, but their, their season didn't end when Jimmy Garoppolo went down the yeah. way it did in 2018 right, right. and then the way it did in 2020. And I also think the Christian McCaffrey trade is going about as about as well as it possibly could have. Dude, it, they're yes. scoring a touchdown more a game with Christian McCaffrey. He is a when they made that. In fact, I'm pretty sure we talked about this on the pod when they made the trade. There was the collective freak out of like, oh, they traded that for a running back in 20. Oh, 
but it's like, dude, he's so much more impactful than Derrick Henry. I'm trying to think of a guy who just lines up and runs. Like he's just he is a such a more impactful player that just opens things up for their offense in a way that like Jeff Wilson Jr., really good player, just doesn't. People talk about a, a tight end being the quarterback's best friend. I would say a pass catching running back is a quarterback's best friend. More so than a tight end. Because like Christian McCaffrey, just the ability to check it down to your last read and just go get six to eight yards anytime yeah. that happens yeah. is such a useful tool for your offense, particularly when your quarterbacks are Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it is just such a luxury for the 49ers to be able to dump it off and, and st- stay ahead of the chains as often as they do. And to your point that you made earlier, they did this without Debo Samuel. The reason why they were able to do it without Debo Samuel is because they went and got Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, like that's we talked exactly ab- right. We talked about that at the time too. Like, oh, Christian McCaffrey is injury prone. Like, yeah, he is, but so is Debo Samuel, and so is George Kittle. And if you just need another playmaker for your offense, you just got one. Yeah, right. Like you, you could. You're, you're now more fortified and able to absorb injuries elsewhere because you do have a guy there. Whereas if the Niners went into this game and had never made the Christian McCaffrey trade, and I think Jordan Mason's good, but Jordan Mason, obviously not nearly as dynamic in the passing game. Like they would have still had Jeff Wilson. They still would have had Jeff Wilson. But do you think they win that game? If there's no Debo Samuel and they're playing they with, with Brock Purdy and Jeff Wilson up in Seattle instead of Christian McCaffrey. I don't think they do. Right. So that that's kind of the point here is that like, the fact he had he only had 30 yards receiving, but he had six catches. Right. It's yeah, just, and it's taking it's taking negative plays. It's taking, oh, I have to get rid of it and just throwing a duck into the middle of the field or taking a sack and turning a loss of seven or eight into a gain of seven or eight. Like that's 15 yards of field position difference. Yeah. And that's 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 enormous, especially when it comes to not only converting on third down, but getting into second and short, getting into third and short. Yeah, McCaffrey's a weapon, man. And and not to mention, like, it it allows them not to have to rely on Elijah Mitchell mm-hmm. to stay healthy, which obviously right. that's they that's going to be a question mark until he stays healthy for a full season. So right. that was obviously Kyle Shanahan's brainchild. I just I just think it's important to understand that, like, yeah, Kyle Shanahan's not perfect and no coach is. Like everybody, you know, Bill Belichick, terrible talent evaluator terrible drafter like cannot build an offense but still the best coach of all time perhaps right still Mm -hmm. top two coach in the league like Andy Reid like you said terrible with the clock forever and hadn't and and really like people didn't love Andy Reid or like think Andy Reid had some unimpeachable resume until he won that Super Bowl he's not all that different he just has a ring now and Patrick Holmes and Patrick Mahomes, the right. generational but, quarterback of this era, who he identified and developed. Sure. So, like, you know, I, I just think there's no perfect coach in the league, and and to to rip a coach because he isn't perfect, I think is sort of missing the forest for the trees. Like, yeah, every coach has their flaws, but like, look at the big picture. Like, this team won a division with its third string quarterback on the road, mm-hmm. and now there's there, there doesn't. You know, aside from Brock Purdy's inexperience, there isn't really a reason to be like, no, the 49ers absolutely can't 
do it. Like the proof that we've seen the last three weeks, beating the Dolphins, beating the Bucks at the way that they did, and then going up to Seattle on the short week and beating them. Like there's nothing coming out of that. Be like, well, they can't win a playoff game on the road. Like I absolutely think they can win more playoff games on the road if they have to. So I think all that's all a credit to Kyle Shannon. And I think it's, you know, we talk a lot about how he does make mistakes and he's obviously not perfect and stuff. And it's our job as podcasters to to nitpick everything that they do. But, you know, we'd be lying to ourselves if we were like, yeah, the 49ers have a bad coach. <laughs> right. Nitpicking decisions, not even nitpicking, pointing out bad decisions or yeah. questionable decisions does not mean fire the coach. Is questioning some of the decision making, like getting a team to jump on the last play of the first quarter to make the fourth and two, and then but, punting. <laughs> but there are some people who look at that stuff like I'm sick of Shanahan. We need somebody else because he, he, like his end of half decisions are bad or whatever. You know, like okay. that's just <laughs> then then <laughs> like those people are out there. That's all I'm saying. I know, and that's ridiculous. Yeah. Can you <laughs> just did the next coaching hires like hey fourth and two. The opponent's 46. What are you doing? Going for it? You're hired. <laughs> Let's go. He's like, I don't have an offensive plan. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Fourth and two in plus territory, you're going. Um, How good was Dre Greenlaw on Thursday? Dude, Dre Greenlaw, Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa. Mooney Ward. Mooney Ward, who just immediately took DK Metcalf, I think, out of the game mentally. But how many times did Geno Smith do the like palms up, like what the hell at his offensive line? A lot. It happened a lot. It was just it was a it was a really dominant defensive performance. If you don't have a good offensive line, you're not beating the Niners. No. no. I don't think. Unless Nick Bosa doesn't play like the Atlanta game. Right. Yeah. He just <laughs> Nick Bosa was credited with six pressures by PFF. It felt like 15. Yeah. He was in the backfield a lot. Yeah. He sure was. And uh, frankly, I'm running out of things to say about their defense. Well, I so what what stands out to me about Mooney Ward is that like, yeah, he'll give up catches like every cornerback does, but he doesn't he doesn't give up explosive plays. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what DK Metcalf is, is he's an explosive right. He's an explosive play receiver. Mm-hmm. Like he's a guy who will go get you 50 yards on a slant if he's got ahead of steam, right? Mm-hmm. But like DK Metcalf was kind of limited to, you know, some of those like 10, 13 yard catches and never really had that big explosive catch that has been his calling card since coming into the league. And that's been a theme for anybody Mooney Ward's covered all season. And I also think it's interesting that, you know, under Robert Sala, the 49ers never you know, the cornerbacks played on the same side, right? right? Like they never very rarely until the, I think until the pandemic season when they would play field and boundary corners, they just played their corners on one side. Like Richard Sherman is always on the left side. Um, Emmanuel Mosley or Kella Witherspoon or whoever was on the right side. The fact that now they're at a point with Mooney Ward where they they're like, just go shadow Metcalf the entire time and have that work. Yep. Is is a coup for them. Like that that's a big yes. deal because when the 49ers were struggling it just felt like okay, they like teams were sending their best receivers 
to the side where they're where the non Richard Sherman corner was, and then just hammer that like the DeAndre right. Hopkins game. Yeah, like yes. I, I forget which one it was, but they're I mean they've had they've struggled that with DeAndre was, Hopkins a lot. Was week one of twenty twenty. Yeah, they just couldn't cover DeAndre Hopkins and. Hopkins was just always going up against the 49ers lesser corner. Yeah. When you're willing to move your corner to the other side of the field occasionally and just have him shadow somebody that just, and you have somebody that you're confident in doing that. And clearly Ward can do that. That's a, that's a big deal for the Niners defense. Cause I think that was a weak point and now it doesn't, you know, that feels like a strength. He's giving up just to put a number on your point because yak can lead to a lot of big plays. He still had 42 catches this year and 107 total yards of yard of of yak. That's two and a half per reception. Yeah, so he's tackling when, dudes as soon as right, he catches. When a guy catches it, he's going down. Yeah, he's a really good player. That's a that that's a really good signing by them, and it's not a ton of money. It's why I feel like their defense this year is I don't know if it's better than 2019, but it's it's having similar or better success. Because of what you just pointed out, like their side, their corner opposite Richard Sherman was a little bit of a mess that year. Yeah, because with Akella Witherspoon played well out of the gate, but then he got hurt, and then it was Emmanuel Mosley who was still, you know, figuring it out in the league. I thought he was really good this year, but he wasn't as good in 2019 as he was this year. Right. But now with Diamador Lenore playing as well as he is, and Traverius Ward, there's just not that like corner they can go pick on. Yeah. Yeah, I also had a thought today. Um, the DeForest, the DeForest Buckner trade. The process, okay. the fact that the 49ers can still have a really good defensive line and not pay DeForest Buckner $20 million indicates that maybe the process wasn't super faulty, mm-hmm. but the big mistake was potentially drafting Kinlaw. Like, that's what makes mm. this game faulty. Like, the process is like, all right, you don't have DeForest Buckner. You still have the best defense in the league, and you're 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 only paying one defensive tackle instead of two. Like, that part of the process tracks for me. The part sure. where they seem to have to have aired is drafting a guy with a degenerative knee right. to replace him. So I just had that thought, like, because... I'd been like, that was just an awful, like kind of a disastrous trade for the Niners. But now like, no, the defense is pretty good and they're not paying Buckner and they're clearly going to have other guys to pay. Like, I don't know that they could have got Christian McCaffrey. I mean, McCaffrey was really cheap this year, but like, could they have, because they might have to end up guaranteeing some of his money, you know, Mm -hmm. to like shrink his cap number. Sure. They wouldn't have all that cap flexibility if they had $20 million going to DeForest Buckner. Right. Like you're going to have to, it would have been tough to pay Buckner Armstead, Bosa, Warner, Debo. You know, well, I, thought, I, I, I think I think the whole I think the whole thing was they wouldn't have paid Armstead. Right. Right. It would have been it would have been Buckner instead of Armstead. But I mean then Domino's fall, right? Okay, so they do that is and then they stay at 13 or whatever it was. Um or no, they wouldn't have had 13. No. They had 25? Right. Do they still up. trade up for Brandon Ayuk? Like, what do they? I mean, but they traded up for Ayuk in with an asset that they got back from moving from thirteen to fourteen. Right, that's what I was saying. Are they yeah. still making that move up? Like, I don't right. know. 
Right. So anyway, yeah, that was I just think, a thought. Yeah. Like the the idea, like, yeah, you don't have to overpay for defensive tackle. You can still have an elite defense, even if that defensive tackle is really, really good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and just the fact that they're piecing together a defensive line this year with like Kerry Hyder playing a lot of defensive tackle. Right. Javon Kinlaw is supposed to be back this week, by the way. Yeah. Fingers crossed. And look, I'm I would not, love to I, see, not, honestly, whether he's good or not, I have no idea. I just want to see him healthy. Like, I think he he's an impactful player when he's healthy. Yeah. You know, it's just, it is what it is. Like, the results speak for themselves. Like, he had a knee injury, and they drafted him, and he hasn't been able to play because of that knee. So, I know, yeah. you know, I know Javon feels a certain way about being about people criticizing him and and I I totally get where he's coming from. But, you know, like it's a first round pick that you traded one of your best players for and you're getting very very little from it. Anyway. I do think Javon can lost talented and can be a good player and I hope he is healthy because it sucks when guys are just hurt. Yeah. Not fun to not. talk about. Do we want to do want to go over our our Twitter pick six real quick? Yeah, it's kind of interesting this week. I had George Kittle, Dre Greenlaw, and Jordan Mason. You had Christian McCaffrey, Mooney Ward, and Mitch Wisnowski. That's six really good picks. Shout out to us. So Mitch Wisnowski, did I did I already do the the segment on the pod talking oh, about his stats? No. Leading the NFL coming into Sunday in punts inside the twenty as a percentage. Okay, but what did he do Sunday or Thursday? Three of six. Okay. Yep. So he's punted 52 times. Do you know he's... what he did on the fourth and two that Shanahan punted on? So he launched it into the end zone. Yeah. They gained like 20 yards of field position. Well, I mean, no punter has. Actually, that's not true. Hold on. Stand by. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at guys that have zero touchbacks. The only guys with zero touchbacks. Oh, Low maybe volume. this is maybe this is why Minnesota is winning so many games. They have a punter who's played in all 14 games. He has. This is riveting. He has 65 punts and zero touchbacks. That's legitimately insane. Ryan Wright. Is he the best player in the league? <laughs> Can I see it first? I'm just asking questions. I mean, yeah, we haven't seen him do it in the playoffs yet, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I I picked Mitch Wisnowski because I was like, it's going to be a field position, like a field position game. Like that's going to be part mm-hmm. of it. And it, like when you can when you have that defense and you can pin an opponent deep as often as the 49ers do at the highest rate right. in the league. Right. Like that matters. So that's that's my Mitch thing. Anyway, it's it's mostly a bit, but there's like legitimate reasoning behind the bit. Sure. Mooney George Ward. Hill. Two I touchdowns. Picked, yeah, I picked Mooney Ward for the DK Metcalf thing. I think that he worked out. He had, a, he had a good game. And then who was my second one? McCaffrey? McCaffrey. Yeah. Touchdown. Yeah, 108 yards on the ground, 30 through the air. Shy of that 150 mark. That Shy of it, but... <laughs> George Kittle had two touchdowns. Uh, he was excellent. Dre Greenlaw was excellent again. 
Is Dre Greenlaw better than Fred Warner this year? No. You sure? He's damn good, but he's not better than Fred. This year, though? Is he having a more productive season? I mean, Greenlaw still had some moments early on in the season where you're like, that was pretty dumb. Dude. Week one was a disaster. Yeah. Week one. Like Fred Fred stuff. doesn't really do the dumb stuff as much as, as Greenlaw did previously. But Greenlaw, Greenlaw flies around and just destroys people. It, the getting Dre Greenlaw for two years and like 16 million or whatever it was this offseason is a coup. Like that's right. he was going to get way more than that if right. they let like, him get to free agency. Like he's almost as good as Fred Warner and he's going to be half the price. Yes. They would Fred Warner would be the best linebacker, I think, on every team. Dre Greenlaw would be the best linebacker on 20? 25. Yeah, 2025. Yeah. And they have both of them. That's and that's that's part of why their defense is just so dominant. Right. Like they take away the easy throws that the Shanahan offense, which is permeated the league, is built on. That's the other reason I think that the Niners would have success against Minnesota. Because oh. it's Kevin O'Connell, which is a Sean McVay guy, which is a Kyle Shanahan guy, and the 49ers have just kind of romped against Shanahan offenses. Um uh, Shane Waldron in Seattle, Shanahan guy, M- McVay guy. Yeah, that. So the other thing about Thursday, it did not feel like an eight point game really at any point. No, there was never. No, it outside felt like of, the Niners were blowing them out. Outside like the of the entire game, outside of the feeling of like, oh, some weird Seattle shit's going to happen. Yeah, which is that. And that's like voodoo stuff like there's no like football reason other than like i don't know man i've seen it happen before <laughs> yeah the seahawks never play a normal in in a regular game shout out to kevin clark how do we feel about my jordan mason pick <laughs> i'm glad Slam he played the door closed i'm glad he played mariana rivera style he was trying so hard to score a touchdown on that last carry yeah i mean really he should have just Smart went down it was right just go down and bounce. He was he was just trying to score and then ran out of gas. Not yeah. the fastest, not the fastest running back in the league. No, but he runs, runs hard. really hard. A lot of heart. That play, uh, Brian Baldinger did a breakdown of that play on Twitter, and the blocking. Like if you're if you if you love run blocking, that was like one of the best run blocking plays I can remember the 49ers having. Like Trent Williams yeah. is a complete alien, dude. He's like he's, a, he's a cement wall. That like moves like insanely fast and changes directions really fast. Yeah. Like the way he's the way he can flip his body as like a 330, however, however much he weighs. He can be blocking a guy one direction and then the running back will be running and Trent will have to flip directions to continue blocking the guy mm-hmm. like he'll block him. Like if you're Trent Williams, he'll block him in like going straight forward 12 o'clock and mm-hmm. then he'll be able to block the guy facing nine o'clock yeah like and stay engaged and continue like it just you have to see it it doesn't make any any actual sense like trent williams is a complete complete freak of nature yeah jeff schwartz did a three and a half minute breakdown of that play where he just rewound it and went through every single block and it was pretty unbelievable yeah. the trent williams one though he's like that's just trent there he is. <laughs> right. Like is like I don't know, you know, I don't I don't study offensive line enough, but I feel like nobody does nobody in the league does the things that Trent Williams does. Yeah. 
He's outrageous. Completely nuts. Anyway, um, is that it? Is that all we got? I think that's all I got. I think Lily's ready to get out of the studio. She's been a little restless. Okay. She's sweet, though. Lily's sick chronicles. <laughs> it's a Sunday night pod, not after a game. Weird. Yeah. And then the Niners are treating because they play. I just realized kind of a shitty schedule break for Washington yeah. getting flexed into this game because they have to go cross country after on playing Sunday week. night on a short week and play Saturday. Yeah. Like at first I was like, man, the Niners kind of got hosed. They played Thursday, but then they don't get the full 10 right. days or whatever it is. But then it's like, oh, Washington plays Sunday night. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's not a short flight. No. Um. So, yeah, we'll talk about I have that a later. layover at Newark. Yeah. That's what I did when I... One of my favorite jokes I ever heard, I forget the, who, whoever the stand-up comedian is, but I, as someone who was born in New Jersey and spent a lot of time there, this comedian said, the Newark airport is the Newark of airports. <laughs> and <laughs> to me, that one hit. That one really, really hit. That's great. Okay, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get back to doing nothing. Okay, great. Subscribe, rate, review. We'll be back later this week. Cooperagebrewing.com. Check them out. That came. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.